everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste. Assalamu alaikum. Iron sharpens iron, and our friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning into the broadcast of Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I'm broadcasting to you from the third coast, coast of the coast, the Gulf Coast of Texas, and it is my pride and privilege to be doing so. So thank you, each and every one of you listeners, new and old alike, most sincerely. We have a great episode here today. We're going to be talking about Red Dawn in Texas. That's right, the eventful morning. Imagine waking up, beginning your day, just like any other day. You're in high school. You go to class. Everything's fine. A little bored. Listen to the professors. Listen to the teachers. Sorry, at this point, you only got teachers. They're not professors, they're just teachers. Um... You know, going on and on and on about something, and you look outside. I think in Red Dawn, it's actually about hunting. They're talking about Mongol hunting parties, and um, you look outside the window, and all of a sudden, you see paratroopers falling down, landing in your fields, your parking lots, and then spraying your principal with fully automatic machine gun fire. And all fucking hell breaks loose. Shit hits the fan. And you have to survive a surprise invasion by Russians, Nicaraguans, and I think Cubans. I think Cubans are in there. I think it's Cubans, Nicaraguans, and uh, Russians. Invaded America in Red Dawn. Gotta go form your little Wolverine posse. Help out a downed American U.S. pilot. And then uh, set up a resistance where you commit um, brutal guerrilla warfare against the communist invaders in the name of uh, America and your father and all your fallen friends and stuff like that. Now, as Americans are getting re-educated in concentration camps by these these fucking uh, villains and shit like that, you know, like, it is... 100% an American classic, an icon of Cold War, Reagan era, um, you know, doomsday fantasy, far right wing uh, fantasy, as well as just, you know, pure Kino. It's absolutely an amazing action film. Love it. Watch Red Dawn all the time. I try to watch it at least once a year. Um, You know, Wolverines. Love it. But. Theoretically, that could absolutely happen in Texas. And theoretically, it is absolutely happening in Texas. There's no, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it gets kicked off. It's completely evident and has been slowly beginning to uh, develop itself since, I would say, 2012. Now, what's become completely evident since then, and I know there's been a lot of progress made, and this would be fucking, you know, days long if I went through every little nuance and timeline and everything, but beginning 2012 with the Obama administration's winning its second uh, term um, and solidifying the cultural shift towards one of social liberalism and um, political correctness, for lack of a better word, when it comes to both domestic and foreign policy, 
uh, restriction, uh, lifting of restrictions from foreigners, as well as the the international policy, though, of being neocon and hawkish, etc., which produced the paradox, which would be exploited in this realistic Red Dawn scenario and exploited on purpose by those who work internationally and by the enemies of America itself who watched Red Dawn as a playbook. And I this is one of those times where um, art didn't imitate life. Life imitates art. Because Ironically, at the time Red Dawn was made in the 1980s, the hostilities between and the power dynamics between the Soviet Union and the communist world and the United States was so pitched and uneven because the Soviet Union was going to collapse in only a matter of years. It wouldn't see out the decade you know, objectively, and then, like, technically, yeah, by 91, 92, ceased to exist completely altogether as an entity. Um, but with our weaponry, with our computers, with our satellites, with our space program, with our, um, you know, black project uh, spy planes and, and, and uh, top-secret weapons, uh, body armor, uh, etc., no one could touch us in the late 80s, or throughout the 80s, not, not and effectively invade America, not at all. Not with submarines, the Navy, the way it was back then in the shape it was in. It was really sharp, um, had a lot of recent relevant experience in warfare. Remember, the 1970s and 80s is only 30 years or 40 years uh, after World War II. So there were still people alive in the Navy most likely who had joined during World War II. They had kept that momentum going at least in the spirit and they were officers, admirals, etc. So it's at that point, you know, that was actually the golden age of joining the Navy because it was the time when we had fewest enemies. Our military was technically at its biggest it had ever been and we were keeping everything uh, offensive. We were invading Vietnam, we were invading and keeping uh, Indochina, like all throughout Indochina, we were um, setting our operations up in the Middle East, setting our operations up in South America, throughout Central America. We were we were expanding. We were the ones expanding. We were the ones invading them, and that's why it's ironic. Because while we feared a combined arms Russian invasion, a conventional arms Russian invasion. Um, where we would be outnumbered and, you know, taken by surprise. That was a far right-wing dog whistle, like, you know, to try to terrify us, basically a bull roar, to try to corral us into support for these operations abroad, which were destabilizing nations like Nicaragua, destabilizing nations like Cuba, destabilizing nations like, uh, you know, Iraq in the middle, or, or supporting nations like Iraq in the Middle East to destabilize countries like Iran, you know, one of these enemies... Um, but ironically also that Iran was an enemy of the Soviet Union and, uh, you know, would actively engage and uh, destroy their aircraft when it could with their own air force, which had American aircraft in it. So you see how this is a very big chessboard. It's very complex, but it's basically between two superpowers and America is definitely uh, on the attack, you know, definitely winning 
and by history and everything that we would see them utterly collapse. So, ironically, exactly, we were the ones invading them. We were the ones destroying them, infiltrating them with our culture, invading them at that time in the 80s, right? We were the ones successful in, in our um, Cold War mission to, to outlast and survive our enemy, right? Now, um, of course, this was, there's no such thing as a Cold War. It was an active field of death and destruction. Millions and millions of people died from across Korea, Vietnam, into China, Africa, uh, the Middle East, etc., etc., etc. And there was all, Europe, all of it was a part of um, this great game, this great Cold War game between us and the Soviet Union, or between the USA and the Soviet Union, right? So saying us, the USA, and the Soviet Union. Now, now we get to 2012, right? So that's um, about 22 years afterwards, right? A lot has changed in the world. And now all those people that we were invading, destabilizing, etc., all these former Soviet Union states and uh, powers, you know, territories, etc., they're either no longer overtly communist or they've been reformed to become different states, typically under the watchful eye of the CIA, etc., to get you know, the benefits of being part of the international world, but they're still controlled by basically militaries, which are all socialist in um, their design, right? All militaries are basically communists. So draw a line between communists and capitalists, between citizens, not militaries, which all operate as communist state-powered, you know, Nazi entities. It's all the fucking same. So the military still are un, like unchanged. The military structures, because of their lifelong candidacy for officership, etc., like that, they're all still. Hey, I remember being in the Soviet Union. I remember how it was. I remember growing up in it, etc. Uh, for example, Putin being famously a member of the KGB. There's there are leaders today, and then there were Putin was a leader in 2012. He's been a leader in um, Russian politics since 1999. And he was an active member, trained, and, and you know, qualified for service in the KGB. He was a KGB field agent and, and uh, office leader. So, just like how that exists, this exists worldwide. There are Cubans, you know, who, who fervently remember the issues with the 80s, you know, uh, operating in Central America and South America against the Contras. In these proxy wars, there are Venezuelans. Venezuela, though, being an odd case, because we're going to talk about that as the main thing, uh, because our threat's not from Cuba, it's Venezuela. And Venezuela now is actively socialist. So they're the ones who remember the 80s of being exploited by the, the cocaine cowboys, the oil companies. That's not only a profit, the greed is good type Gordon Gecko, Wall Street, 1980s Americanas. So, uh, you know. Um, you know, there's there's a whole fucking thing about that. But 2012 rolls around, oh, and we also have the communist Chinese. Realistically. So, replace the Russians with the communist Chinese. Replace the Nicaraguans with the Venezuelans. And replace the uh, Cubans, because they're no longer really, uh, you know, as relevant to this issue. But spiritually, in essence, they're going to be replaced with the North Koreans. Because in the modern world, in 2023, since 2012, these people and these nations have been invading America 
infiltrating our networks, investing in this guerrilla war to send deep, undercover, long reconnaissance operators in regular plainclothes armies to infiltrate um, as undetected as they can to perform reconnaissance, scouting, as well as to get footholds and set up sleeper cells within communities. And it is obviously... It is obvious to anyone who can who can track and, and keep this all together. Um, I'll try to summarize it so it's all under one hour and everything. For it's a you know a huge subject we could talk about it if we let ourselves just for hours and hours and hours. But I'll try to run it through. Uh, so basically, the the irony of the of the Red Dawn movie being that in the 1980s we were doing all of that shit to them, to the Russians. We were kicking their asses. You know, we won the Cold War. And now the USA is being, um, you know, victimized and, and now in real threat of Red Dawn. And it is happening. And we think it's impossible because the Soviet Union fell. That Nicaragua is no longer, is, is, is not like a, a viable threat. This is not like, you know, relevant to that. But we don't see that it's just literally playing out. It was a predictive programming act, just like all the predictive programming in 9-11. The details were different. The details were falsified, but in truth, it was the same, and it is the same. America will be um, attacked overnight, like within a very fast window of time. Its uh, grid will be compromised. It will be taken offline, and with its grid gone uh, by Chinese hackers... I'm sorry, by North Korean hackers. By North Korean hackers who will infiltrate America virtually with cyber warfare, with malware uh, that was specifically designed to target American uh, operating systems um, to go undetected. It will be done in such a Zerg rush type attack that even if there is abilities to stop this, you know, viral, uh, you know, attack, ransomware, like whatever, it'll seem... Like it's just part of something else, or they're extremely high their their steps to the point where, um, you know, deep long term infiltration of computer systems, back doors to appliances, um, you know, heavy machinery, uh, computer systems that are in the military hardware that are in uh, the power grid system, you know, that that really keep America running credit systems, banking, operating computers, and all that stuff. The deep, deeply implanted malware and um, software vulnerabilities will be exploited. Um, maybe even those that were done and put in there, implemented, created, you know, and ordered by the American intelligence networks, the NSA, or the, um, you know, CIA. Basically, is no secret. And you can look it up right now. You can Google it yourself. That the NSA has put in every single device backdoors, what they call backdoors, uh, malware surveillance systems. They can operate cameras. They can look through your files. They can operate your computer. Look through every single file you've ever saved. Uh, search history, etc., all without you noticing, because they can operate inside your computer, uh, basically, you know, on their on their systems um, through this factory installed uh, system. 
Now, that is meant to be exploited by Americans for American security, no Patriot Act type stuff, as well as the constant surveillance of American citizens. Now, that's supposed to be used by Americans, though, right? But we see now that that's most likely going to be used by um, North Koreans, or, you know, trained in China, because the Chinese have infiltrated these intelligence companies, these intelligence networks, these agencies, um, gained access to the same exact spyware, and realized that if you can't beat them, join them. Just use their own systems against you, against them. And the thing with American cyberware is that they've literally created the weapons to use against Americans, which operate through American computer systems, which would operate through American heavy industries, and thus, you know, it's it's, it's just kind of like, you know, we, we, as capitalists, will sell the bullets to the communists that will end up shooting us in the back. And that is what has exactly happened because we have sold foreign countries these operating systems, these computer systems, and we have been doing so with the intention on spying on these third party, these third world countries, these third party, uh, you know, corporate interests, these heavy refinery corporate interests, uh, machinery. It's South America, it's Central America, and this is where it all comes in. Say it, the heart, the heartbeat of all this is Venezuela, right? So the heart of all this is Venezuela. And what really happened around 2012 is when you have the the understanding of Venezuela, they are going to be invaded by the United States of America, right? Unless they do something. And at that point, China is, at, you know, uh, becoming less and less intimidated by America, and they're starting to see the vulnerabilities and weakness. They're already infiltrated America with a lot of citizens, hundreds of thousands of citizens um, that have loyalties to the Communist Party, that have come to America through work visas, think of the Fang Fang, um, the, the you know, Chinese spy that are sleeping with Democrats, they're infiltrating political parties, they're creating um, NGOs, you know, in, in Chinatowns around uh, places, but they're also creating uh, police stations, police stations which are training spies, which are recruiting spies, informers, double agents, which are operating electronic warfare operations, uh, you know, uh, intercepting communications, basically bugging phones, landlines, gathering intel, blackmail, compromat. Um, if we don't, if we doubt me, Fang Fang, Fang Fang is a real fucking thing. She was a, a Chinese spy, literally a Chinese woman who wore a red dress to seduce high-powered members of the California Democrat Party, which is a very important state in America. So just think of that happening there in Texas, which absolutely is the case. But this is, you know, just think of this happening in all across America, but this happening in Texas as well. Because this is what's coming over the border. And this is why uh, the Texas border really does matter in this situation, because they are um, at another phase. This is, remember, this is the 2012 phase I'm talking about now, the timeline of it. Right? It's slower. Red Dawn happened in one morning. Um, this happened over a decade. Right? We're already 11 years into it, going into 12 years into it. Right? So the Red Dawn that I'm talking about is realistic. It's happening by inches. It's happening so slow that people aren't even noticing. It's like a, the frog in the boiling pot of water. It's like watching grass grow. It's just the one day you, you realize how tall it's gotten, right? Because you get so busy and, and distracted by everything else. 
it's just right now people aren't so uh, selfish and they're so distracted and they're so just uneducated by how the real world works they don't realize this was building up this for this long but yeah you see the Chinese infiltrating they started to build these like CCP loyal um, groups and in their own defense they're saying oh we're trying to catch criminals we're trying to catch people who are spending what we call hot money that are coming to America to invest in real estate to buy huge amounts of land without having to pay it to the you know communist Chinese that might be rebels that might be part of the Fuyang Gong which might be part of the uh, like the Uyghurs you know um Dissidents, various political dissidents, Taiwanese, you know, Hong Kong type um, shit going on. We've got to catch them. We've got to police our own. We have mobsters in America and stuff like that. So they're getting away with this, like, over overtly. They just have police stations and shit in Houston. They've had police stations all over the world. And so you look it up, right? And um, if, you, if you search this up, because this is really where it starts, right? And this is the, the big thing. So CCP police stations in the USA. In the USA, police stations from the Communist uh, Chinese Communist Party have been identified in New York City, Los Angeles, Houston, and San Francisco, as well as smaller cities in Nebraska and Minnesota. Right? This is not an urban legend. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is not fake. Right? Then you have the headlines. Department of Justice prints out two arrested for operating a legal overseas police station. And it's Brooklyn and New York. Why China's police state has a precinct near you. And that's from um, Politico.com. Quera.com. Why are CCP police stations allowed to be operating in the United States? PBS. PBS.org. What are China's alleged secret overseas police stations? Fox 26 Houston. Six more illegal Chinese police police stations allegedly operating have been reported. Nationalpoliceassociation.org. Communist China establishes police station on U.S. soil. You know, and it just keeps going on and on and on. It's not an urban legend. So yeah, this this article from Houston. Six more illegal Chinese police stations allegedly operating in the U.S. include Houston. The FBI has shut down illegal Chinese police stations in New York City and arrested two men accused of secretly operating the facility. A new report is now alleging that more covert locations may exist in cities in co- across the U.S., including Houston, Texas. The ultimate purpose of this illegal police station was not to protect and serve, but rather silence, harass, threaten individuals here in the United States, particularly those expressing views contrary to the Chinese government. This week, the FBI announced the arrest of 61-year-old Lu Jian Wang and 59-year-old Chen Jinping, two Chinese nationals accused of operating this nondescript facility in New York on behalf of the Chinese government. Thirty-four officers were charged from China's National Police Force for allegedly creating fake online personas to harass dissidents abroad. U.S. officials sent a firm message during a news conference on Monday. Today's charges sent a crystal clear response to the People's Republic of China that we are on you. We know what you're doing and we will stop it, said Brain Peace, U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York State. FBI agents raided the building in New York last fall and later shut the alleged covert Chinese police station down. 
And not only do you have stuff like that in Texas from the already established group, but you have more radical things that have been done by the Chinese in America, like not only creating drug trade empires with their criminal organization groups, um, illegal weapons dealing where they're buying U.S. weaponry and then selling them on the black market for profit, um, you know, internationally, as well as human trafficking amongst their own citizenry, as well as foreigners like Indonesians or Malaysians. But they're also creating bioweapons in America in laboratories that they set up in housing. And this is not a urban legend either. Quick search of it produces these headlines. AP News. An illicit Chinese-owned lab fuels conspiracy theories. Owner of California Biolab arrested. And we'll read that one. That was a really good one, so we'll read that one. And this is just ABC, ABC.com, ABC News. And it's from uh, October 20th, 2023. So these are all relevant news articles. Owner of California Biolab that fueled bioweapons rumors charged with mislabeling, lacking permits, as well as many other crime, uh, labels. The Chinese owner of the unauthorized California lab that fueled conspiracy theories about COVID-19 and bioweapons was arrested on charges of manufacturing, distributing misbranded medical tests, and making false statements. Zhao Bao Zhu, 62, was arrested Thursday after an investigation by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of California. Zhu, who is also known as Jesse Zhu, Kang He, and David He, is a citizen of China who formerly lived in Clovis, California, the office said in a press release. Court documents allege that between December 2020 and March 2023, Zoo and others manufactured, imported, sold, and distributed hundreds of thousands of COVID-19 test kits, as well as tests for HIV, pregnancy, and other conditions in the U.S. and China. The criminal case alleges that two companies involved, Universal Meditech Incorporated and Prestige Biotech Incorporated, did not obtain authorizations to manufacture or distribute the kits and mislabeled many of them. It also alleges that Zhu made false statements to the FDA about his identity, ownership, and control of the companies and their activities. The investigation stemmed from the discovery of medical test kits being manufactured in a warehouse in the agricultural Central Valley city of Reedley, California, in December of 2022. A city code enforcement officer found dozens of refrigerators and freezers, vials of human blood and jars of urine, and about 1,000 white mice in crowded, soiled containers on the property. 
A local news report said that a company representative told the officials that the mice were modified to carry the COVID-19 virus, fueling rumors of a biological weapons being made. Although Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said there was a sign on the lab marking everything and it was illegally in possession of the materials. Oh, sorry. The Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said there was no sign on the lab of any materials and was illegally in possession of these agents or toxins that could easily be used to make bioweapons. As part of his scheme, the defendant changed his name, the names of his companies, and their locations often, U.S. Attorney Philip A. Talbert said in a statement. The disarray at the Reedley lab led to the glare of publicity he was trying to avoid, and the ensuing investigation unraveled his efforts to circumvent the requirements that are designed to ensure that medical devices and lab equipment are safe and effective, Talbert said. End of article. Now, of course, they're trying to keep down the, the, the public, the panic, right? That this is going on. That these Chinese nationals are, can easily come to America and use just our great wealth of um, privacy, of space, of our relatively very easy um, economy to set up businesses, you know, money talks. So, however they're getting that money, probably through the government, probably through these organized crime groups, they can use to create businesses and generate more money, right? So, this has been going on for over 10 years. The FBI has shut down consulate offices. Consulate offices have burned their own paperwork, especially like in Houston. So, to point this in a Texas direction again... We have that going on in Texas and Houston and San Antonio and Austin, no doubt, in Dallas, where all these large Chinese populations, Houston being the capital, though, when it comes to population, um, exist, correct? So, where are we getting the um, rest of these ingredients from, right? Like I said, Venezuela is really the heart of where it's... Um, like China is basically the, the, the soul of money, the brains of the operation. Um, with the, the added component of the North Koreans and their expertise at cyber war. But the Venezuelans are going to supply most of the manpower for this invasion. Most of the actual uh, boots on the ground, most of the actual... Uh, troopers, the soldiers, the, the death squad members will be Venezuelan. So remember I said that Venezuela realized that the USA was going to invade them during the Obama administration or afterwards during whoever took over the presidency after that. The plan was already in set motion. They were already finding uh, U.S. Marine Corps and U.S. Air Force and U.S. Navy uh, military uh, you know Components, planes, by planes, satellites, uh, drones, etc., like that, flying over their airspace. They were finding um, patrol boats going across their maritime territories. They were finding um, spies infiltrating their societies and stuff like that, like their their 
power of a structure. They were finding this stuff. And Venezuela was becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and more competent and competent. Now, the, fa- the, the Venezuela invasion failed to happen. It failed to materialize through the aid of China into Venezuela. Just like how the American future invasion, or at least past invasion at this point, gotta gotta check myself on that. The invasion that was scheduled to happen during the uh, what is now the Trump administration, the 45th presidency administration, whoever was going to happen after Obama set up all the pieces, set up all the political pieces, you know, the, the momentum that America's enemy was a nuclear-powered ICBM-wielding North Korea to set up the Korean War 2.0 that would last for three years that could last for the in, for just the run of a presidential term be ended through another peace negotiation between South Korea and North Korea another ceasefire without any real resolution except for a disarmament plan maybe agreed to by Kim Jong-il or maybe an assassination or some kind of uh, inclusion of UN element, maybe blue helmets, or maybe a, um, a, a inc- increase of U.S. American occupation in South Korea, something like that, right? Which would set the stage for further endless war in Asia as we were able to actually set, you know, a standing army and navy uh, squadron uh, in the Pacific, not just geared towards China but now geared towards um, North Korean actual operations, you know, bombing key targets with Tomahawk missiles, etc. like that. But at the same time, preparing. Preparing and buffering for China, using that force to intimidate China, using that force to basically strengthen South Korea and protect Japan, and set up eventual war for Taiwan with China, using this army that would be experienced and tested and, or- and disciplined from this war in Korea, you know, going into the 2020s. Because we're already here. We're in the 2020s. Looking back at 2012, you're like, yeah, that 10 years, that 10-year plan came and went. We're already in 2023. That was 10 years ago that they were setting all this up hypothetically that didn't come to pass. But what did come to pass, though, is the commitment, the, the undertaking, and the creation of this plan to go deep undercover from the existential enemies... Of the U.S. Uh, of uh, I mean the USA is who is an existential enemy of the North Koreans, the Venezuelans, and the Chinese, all of which were going to be invaded slash attacked or you know um, otherwise you, you know yeah otherwise basically militarily engaged and invaded by the USA over the last ten years, although that never worked out. Like, like the idea of China and the Spratly Islands that failed around the Fitzgerald era around 2018. Trump in many ways uh, put the kibosh on all of this, seeing that it was going to be a disastrous effort slash, you know, for everyone involved, as well as he is pretty much um, on the side of the white hats at this point. So it has to be understood, uh, regardless of the actual play of it, you know, preserving the world is what the white hats do, not ending it. So... Um, Trump basically said no war in China. 2018 comes and goes. We have the Fitzgerald incident. They're trying to provoke war by literally attacking a U.S. Navy ship. Um, you know, does not happen because 
China proves at that point that they can hack U.S. Navy equipment using these backdoor malware attacks in U.S. hardware and U.S. military computers, right? So basically the Chinese can own by EMP device, by, by actual hacking, any piece of American naval equipment since the deals with the Clintons to use exclusively Chinese-made computer chips in U.S. Navy ships. This is 100% true. You can look this all up, right? As well as many other things in our infrastructure, which are controlled by Chinese-controlled uh, computer chips and products, right? So, got it right there. Trump says, no war with China. We would just be sitting ducks in the water. We'd get our asses kicked. That's what they want from us, right? But at the same time, this is what Obama wanted from us because that would destroy the U.S. Navy. That would that would really ruin the, the reputation of America and get us in this forever endless cruise, uh, a war with a country with a billion fucking people, which is ridiculous. Like two billion people, sorry. Two billion people. Fucking ridiculous, right? And that's what Obama and the death cult Hillary Clinton would have wanted us to do, right? Uh, to destroy America. Uh, we're not going to get into war with North Korea because we could just negotiate, which is what Trump did. Trump negotiated with Kim Jong-il in 2017, brought that to a peaceful resolution, right? But at the same time, they know that it wasn't a peaceful resolution because what happened was that told them the plans to make war, told them that we were not going to make war if they would destroy the nuclear program as it was existing during the administration. They could start it again when he left. At that point, you know, they realized, yeah, we're going undercover. We're going to start this war, the shadow war. We can't really compete. We don't want to be bombed by American jets. We do not want to be bombed with American tomahawks. We'll pretend that we destroyed our nuclear missiles. We'll, forget, we'll just have them researched online, you know, like in, in the virtual um, AutoCAD systems and stuff like that. We can build a nuclear weapon whenever we want. We're North Koreans. We could. We have Iran. We have all these different friends that you know, the Russians, for example, the Chinese that already can do it. This is not 1945. You know, they they don't want to. They'll point North Korea is that that's a presumed objective of theirs is to build these nuclear powers. North Korea doesn't give a shit. North Korea has conventional weapons, artillery that they are more invested in because they would rely on that to crush the South would be these these overwhelming millions of artillery cannons that they have which is why we can't attack them and why they can't really reach out and get us ever because they don't want to that's just what they do as kind of like a, a international you know show off but regardless peace is made between the US South Korea and uh, North Korea for at least those four more years right so in 2020 rolls around becomes fair game again 2020 rolls around Biden opens the border you start seeing all this shit go down, right? Venezuela. Now, Venezuela, as I already said, they already realized that they were getting invaded. Uh, Trump uh, publicly fucked the pooch on that one with the whole wine guido, not supporting him, not giving him any backing. The, that absolute atrocious campaign of Juan Guido with the U.S. military to try to uh, overthrow uh, Maduro with a popular support that didn't exist, that wasn't there, and that was a public brand. Like, that was world news, that little little fucking standoff they had at the border, the supplies, the Colombia situation. Colombia was going to send mercenaries and gangsters to go fight uh, to help, you know, uprise Venezuela, but no one knew how stupid that was, like, on the news, because Venezuela is this massive fucking country with, like, Caracas has, like, six million people in it, and it's like, there were special, there were, there were, there were, there were security operators. There were basically mercenaries, uh, private military company from Florida 
that of like ex special forces, etc., that went to Venezuela to try to assassinate Maduro. Maduro almost got blown up by a fucking drone in like 2018. It was an assassination by drone attempt, an exploding drone that happened. That was a thing. But you know, Venezuela is still here. They didn't get invaded because Trump was smart enough to realize that sending in the Marines, sending in the Navy, the Russians were already there resupplying them with, uh, they gave them, for example, they landed a, a white swan nuclear bomber in Venezuela in this time period. And everyone thought, well, they'll just have it stationed there. No, what they were doing was giving the Venezuelans the blueprints, the top secret logs, the maintenance records, the, the, the actual specs that are government secrets to Russia. They were doing that under the table without official approval. Because then the Venezuelans can now make their own. That's right. Venezuelans can produce maybe not a hundred, you know, uh, white swan, um, you know, strategic supersonic nuclear bombers that have all-weather operating capabilities and can fly in Arctic conditions, hurricane conditions, etc., and deliver hypersonic missiles, you know, at high altitudes that can cover the entire... North American Eastern Seaboard striking Washington, D.C. if they're lucky. But of course, every major city in the South and the Gulf Coast. Yeah, they gave them the blueprints. They let them look through the plane to see how it was made, take measurements, get download all the important information, data, etc. And now, not only that, but learn how to fly it, become familiar with the platform, etc. All of that was done during this period. Now, Venezuela is a much deadlier, and that's exactly why. It's because the Russians were helping them. They had Navy assets. They had an aircraft carrier parked um, in the the Caribbean Sea. That was one of the things that they didn't talk about. They had a shadow Navy standoff in the Caribbean Sea where they were using the Caribbean islands, loading them with missiles and shit like that. Um, you know, this is one of those things that it, it, it happens, but, you know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Red Dawn situation. At this point, though, 2020 rolls around, right? And they had already made the agreements. They already had that this had happened. Was Venezuela's strategy in all of this is to unload all of their prisons. Basically, all of the people who sided with Juan Guido that were arrested, all of the people that they were arrested because they were indigenous or they were capitalists or they were criminals during the socialist reform or they were loyalists to the old government or that they were rapists or criminal or killers or gangsters, thieves, you know, whatever. They were going to get them. They were going to tell them to get the fuck out of their country. They were going to release them basically into the custody of these NGOs, these immigrant groups, these Soros-runned uh, people who wanted to do this anyway through the Obama administration. Remember, it's all globalists slash this is a real thing that they're doing. And they were going to infiltrate them. Not these people. These people were the immigrants they were going to give up anyway. Remember, it's, nothing exists in a vacuum. They were like, okay, you want, you want people to go? You want people to flood out, you know, to immigrate to America? We got like 500,000 Venezuelans that we're going to send. Now, out of these 500,000 Venezuelans, about two out of five, so almost half, I would say are specially trained, long reconnaissance, infiltrators, guerrilla army, uh, sleeper cell death squads for the socialist Maduro regime. I'm confident about that. About two out of five. So out of 500,000, 
about 200,000 have now infiltrated our borders. And the reason why they put them inside criminals, because maybe they were conscripts to work with to begin with, because this is a suicide mission. But it's a perfect disguise and cover because all military tattoos, being physically fit, being a man without a family, being, um, you know, um, hardcore looking or tough looking or acting as, as like completely acceptable, as well as when the Border Patrol is checking people's backgrounds, you'll have a fake ID. You'll have a government issued ID and cover story that has already been vetted that you can feel confident in as being approved, right? They know what to say. So you don't have to rely on your own. But the rest of them, the criminals who were literally just released from a Venezuela prison where they were serving life in prison into a diaspora where they had to walk by foot up to Mexico and then crossed into America through the Texas border. After all of that hardship, and when they start getting investigated by the Border Patrol and the Refugee Center and the Processing Center, before they're given their ID, etc., they're going to be discovered to be rapists or killers or murderers or gang members or internationally wanted people. Um, and already... What is being seen is even though if you look up, for example, Venezuela immigration, right? And in Venezuela immigration, in the peak month of 2023, it was August, August 2023, were 82,000 Venezuelans crossed the border of Mexico into Texas, Right? This is where people started openly talking about the border crisis and the refugee crisis that was testing U.S. border policies and resources. This is when it was no longer popular. It was when the Venezuelans started showing up in 2022-2023 when people realized it was not Mexican immigration. It was not Costa Rican immigration. It was not Honduran or Colombian or Bolivian or Chilean or any other type of a Panamanian or any other type of immigrant. It was overwhelmingly Venezuelan. And already, like I said, the estimates are 500,000 Venezuelans already entering through the Texas border, right? So and yes, I know they're busing they're busing out the immigrants to New York City and busing them out to Washington D.C. and busing them out to like San Diego and L.A. and stuff like that. But um, the other sanctuary cities like Denver, but they've only bussed out I would say roughly ten to twenty thousand people. They bust out maybe I think at most at most maybe fifty thousand people. Um. 20, like 50,000 to 20,000 people. So out of 500,000 people, 450,000 immigrants are still in Texas. They still live in Texas. These people are living in Houston and San Antonio and Eagle Pass and El Paso, McAllen, 
Brownsville. These people are living now and crossing into just cities like Corpus Christi, um, you know, up to Austin, to Dallas, uh, all over the place. They're just they're filtering out. They're basically just being told, well, none of them been sent to Rockport. Let's send a hundred of them to Rockport. None of them have been sent to uh, Galveston. Let's send 2,000 of them to Galveston. None of them have been sent to Pasadena. Let's send 2,000 of them to Pasadena. They're just doing things like that. Or they're just telling them, here's, uh, your, here's your money card. Here's your debit card for your benefits. You know, you'll get them every month. Here is a plane ticket or a bus ticket wherever the hell you want to go. Figure it out on your own. Uh, you want to go to Chicago, get yourself to Chicago. Uh, start your life there. You know, basically check in with the people over there, the office over there. So, a simple search, um, a simple search for the number of immigrants that have appeared in Texas, right? And this is this is all immigrants, all immigrants that have appeared in Texas, um, that live in that live in Texas currently. Four point nine million people. One in six Texas residents is an immigrant from a foreign country, while another one in six residents is a native-born U.S. citizen with at least one immigrant parent. In 2018, 4.9 million immigrants comprised 17% of the Texas population. That's right. So it's not so out of all of that, five million immigrants, right? Five hundred thousand that have appeared in the last two years were Venezuelan. And now Texas is saying, we have a border crisis. We have too many immigrants appearing. They are coming in too forcefully. And I know they're not alone. There's Haitians. There's, uh, you know, all these different types of uh, people. Another big group of immigrants are the Chinese, right? Now, this is another odd thing why I said Red Dawn is going to happen over the border. Because not only were they already here, Chinese people having set up, the PRC, the People's Republic of China, already setting up these police stations, they were already here. They're adding in tens of thousands more because the po- politics has already changed. You already read the FBI article of them closing down these, these police stations. So now they need to get people across in a hurry to meet their ratios, uh, their, their, their staffing needs, their supply needs, right, with specialists, etc., as a lot of their agents are already being compromised and being sent out. So, just by searching that up, Texas Public Radio, TPR.org, Chinese migrants across the U.S. border in record numbers, uh, VOA News, growing number of migrants from China arriving at the U.S., Every day, it's about 5,000 migrants from China encountered across all border stations from Border Patrol agents. Inside the boom in Chinese migration at the southern border, thousands of Chinese migrants and asylum seekers have already arrived in the U.S., and thousands more will. This is all from 2023, folks. Reuters.com. Migrants use Chinese version of TikTok for tips on the long trek from Mexico to Texas. Seeking protection and opportunity. Uh, this is from San Diego Union Tribune about the just Chinese um, coming across into America. Chinese nationals crossing the U.S. border, et cetera, et cetera. South Texas sees surge of Chinese migrants crossing in. This is a border report, right? So we'll just read the border report.
so far, and this is one thing worth reading, Sheep Patrol agent Gloria Chavez tweeted that the most encountered since 2010 in a single day was 1,667 Chinese immigrants. There has been a 920% increase in Chinese nationals encountered compared to fiscal year 2022. The vast majority of whom are single adults. It is creating a strain on our workforce due to the complexities of the language barrier and the lengths of processing time. Here's something very suspicious. When Border Report asked the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, Border Protection officers to elaborate on the strains, the agency was told on Monday that Chavez was out of state in Arizona and training, and no one else was qualified to talk about the situation. So, very odd that it's very hard to find any real information. There's only a handful of specialists, and none of them really want to come forward to talk about how severe it is. And how, really, these are not Chinese people who have learned English who are coming to America. These are Chinese people who speak Chinese, who are single adults. And who are non-compliant and not assimilating, or not least intentionally assimilating, or at least with the objective to. And they're coming, I believe, to resume the surveillance, resume the infiltration, resume the creation of these enclaves, of these um, Chinese loyalist centers, not only in major cities, but across more cities, exactly. They're, the reason why they need more people is because they're expanding these operations, not from this, the heart of the urban centers of America, but into the smaller, mid-size, and even smaller than that communities, literally operating as spies, as a, as a spy army operating in our borders. Possible saboteurs, possibly collecting uh, just information, for the muscle that is going to be the Venezuelan death squads and the special special operators, the, the, the long-range um, heavy hitters of the North Korean hackers who are specialists in cyber warfare, who are allies to the Chinese and who understand that the USA, as told to them already, is an existential threat that will forever keep them in a state of forever war and primitive uh, levels of extreme unpopularity globally so that they may have just an enemy in the Pacific that cannot threaten them and they can always defeat. And at that humiliation, North Korea I think went full Chinese agent, went full Chinese loyalist and said yes. At that point, you start seeing things like their cyber crime being reported on because that becomes not their nuclear program, not their missile program, but becomes the understood most dangerous weapon they have in their arsenal is their cyber warfare program. For instance, 
North Korean hackers working for the government stole record-breaking virtual assets in 2022. Thought to be worth between $630 million and some have estimated to be over $1 billion when all added together. UN experts said in a new report, and that was published on February 7, 2023. This is not an understatement. Internationally, North Koreans are the most feared hackers, even having recently hacked into Russia. Now, that was something that was done more so they could prove that it could happen. But goes to show that when it comes to the cyber war world, Russia, even though it is extremely hyped up and vaunted, still comes up lacking to the crack North Korean IT groups. They've also famously already hacked the United States, specifically United States banking, making Silicon Valley effectively their bitch in 2023. North Korean hackers breached a U.S. tech company to steal crypto, proving that the entire crypto exchange security even in 2023 standards, as it's going national, it's 100% vulnerable to their attacks. It was the largest cryptocurrency robbery that happened in the USA. A list of famous crypto attacks, or, or cyber attacks, sorry, um, that happened with North Korea as the major antagonist there was the 2009 Operation Troy, arguably the first major hacking incident attributed to North Korea. The 2013 South Korea cyber attack, Operation One Mission. The late 2014 Sony breach. The early 2016 investigation, Operation Blockbuster. 2016 Bangladesh bank cyber heist. The 2017 WannaCry ransomware attacks. The 2017 cryptocurrency attacks. The 2019 attacks. Dubbed Electric Fish. Electric fish. All of these have uh, monetary uh, assets to them. For example, in um, the September 2019 attacks known as Electric Fish, uh, they stole $49 million from a theft from Kuwait, for example, as, long, as well as five other major cyber thefts that were happening at the same time. The late 2020 pharmaceutical company attacks... in which they stole AstraZeneca information and published it online.
In 2021, they attacked cybersecurity researchers. In March 2022, they hacked the online game Axie Infinity. June 2022, the Horizon Bridge attack. They were responsible for the theft of $100 million of virtual currency from Harmony's Horizon Bridge, reported on June 24, 2022. And for this, they were placed under the U.S. Treasury's OPEC, place uh, the SDN list under North Korea Sanctions Regulations, Section 510.214. This hacker group, which is known as Lazarus, the North Korean hackers are sent vocationally to Xinjiang, China for special training. Like I said, this all adds up because China then starts educating North Koreans. Specifically to hack America and to operate as a rogue entity that is not China that can operate for China in this capacity. Because remember, China is still allied to the United States. And China always plays an international diplomat, whereas something like this is overtly aggressive and would be seen as open acts of hostility and war, reserved only for the enemies of America, which the North Koreans no doubtly are. But the Chinese are still America's largest trade partners. They can't actually engage in this overt hostilities, especially when it doesn't relate over a border but on this virtual cyber world, which means overt, intentional maliciousness in their operations. But but trained in Xinjiang, China, they are trained to deploy malware of all types onto computers, computer networks, and servers. The education domestically includes the Kim Cheek University of Technology, Kim Il-sung University, and Maribong University which picks the brightest students from across the country and puts them through six years of special education. This is also coupled with Bureau 121. Bureau 121 is a North Korean cyber warfare agency and the main unit of the Reconnaissance General Bureau of North Korea's military. It conducts offensive cyber operations, including espionage and cyber-enabled financial crimes. According to American authorities, the RGB manages clandestine operations and has six bureaus across North Korea. Cyber operations are a cost-effective way for North Korea to maintain an asymmetric military option, as well as means to gather intelligence. Its primary intelligence targets are South Korea, Japan, and the United States. It was created in 1998. It is rumored to have more than 600 enlisted hackers and is the most sophisticated unit in the RGB. According to Reuters, Bureau 121 is staffed by some of North Korea's most talented computer experts and is run by the Korean military. A defector indicated that the agency has about 1,800 specialists Many of the Bureau's hackers are hand-picked graduates at the University of Automation in Pyongyang and spend five years in extra training. 
A 2021 estimate suggests that there may be over 6,000 members of Bureau 121, with many of them operating in other countries such as Belarus, China, India, Malaysia, and Russia. While these specialists are scattered around the world, their families benefit heavily from special privileges at home, which would give them all the motivation they would need individually to attack America beyond the fact they just hate its guts. So now the stage is set. You have the Chinese who did all the spy work, who have did all the negotiations, the management, who have put a lot of work into increasing the abilities of Venezuela and North Korea, as all three are finding themselves as enemies of America. And then you have potentially, um, you know, rogue elements, organized crime elements, etc. that are going to sponsor the chaos that are internal as well. No one ever factors that in the internal dissidents, the revolutionaries, the rebels, the militias that will, uh, the separatists that will take full advantage of this chaos as well. As well as the internals, the CIAs, the rugs, the wild cards that just want to watch the world burn. But now we have the Venezuelans. The Venezuelans, I said, brought the, uh, brought the muscle, brought the actual manpower brought the boots on the ground, brought the actual soldier class. And I said that these were heavily trained irregulars and long-range reconnaissance meant for clandestine covert operations to travel unarmed initially, acquire supplies along the way, benefit from America's already local guns to localize the warfare elements, uh, enlist gangs, set up funding, set up training, set up things like buying real estate, that's part of their operations. It's not just immediately go kill as many Americans with machine guns and rocket launchers as you can, set up landmines and stuff like that. It's go in, get housing, set up a, a network of, of friendly gun stores and uh, businesses, set up a way of, of revenue, get large amounts of currency, train locals and new Venezuelans as they show up in English and the American way, etc. And we're talking like in cities like in Houston, San Antonio, uh, Dallas. Uh, once you get enough security and confidence with the area, using the Chinese network of intelligence they've already established, using the spies, the communications, start doing hits, start taking out targets that they found. When the North Koreans strike and take out the American grid, take out the power grid, maybe all at once, maybe piecemeal, one city at a time, one neighborhood at a time. When blackouts start rolling across the city, the city may even suspect its own grids, infrastructure failures, its own internal uh, system failures, rather than actual malicious attacks. And now I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's talk about the Venezuelan death squads. Who is going to be taking out uh, people firing guns actually being the, the part of the gun that eats, right? Who's going to be the foot soldiers for all of this, right? Because I know the Chinese are sending thousands, the North Koreans are staying in North Korea, fighting only over cyberspace. Where are these men who are going to be marching and driving um, helixes up and down the street and, um, you know, 
securing towns and cities and and killing Americans who fight back and 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 you know killing police and killing national guardsmen and running gun battles etc. You with armored vehicles and and you know uh, fully automatic weapons etc. Who are these people going to be? It's going to be the special action forces of Venezuela, heavily trained. They are death squads, as described by witnesses of their actions. And in 2018, they killed over 5,000 people and 2,000 people in 2019, officially, when this article was written about them. These were during the operations for the liberation of the people under the socialist regime of Maduro, which targeted mostly the impoverished and the criminal gangs, which, as I said, made up the prisoners that they unloaded on America. And in their massive purges of these populations of criminals, which arrested hundreds of thousands of them, they ended up killing thousands in the process. These are experienced and hardened men. These are killers, murderers, man killers. Independent groups reported over 9,000 killings for resistance to authority. There are reasons to believe that many of these killings constitute extrajudicial, extrajudicial executions committed by the security forces. Since 2016, the government has pursued a strategy aimed at neutralizing, repressing, and criminalizing political opponents and people critical of the government. Remember I said Trump, 2016, um, immediately told them that they were not going to be attacked, tried to put the brakes on all invasions, but basically revealed the plan to them, telling them that they were going to use these men to stage a revolution, stage a revolt. And uh, same thing with North Korea, same thing with China at the time. Told them that we were not going to... Told them basically what they needed to know to prevent World War III from being initiated in the Western Hemisphere. The report also describes routine abuses by security and intelligence services of people detained for political reasons. In most of the cases, men and women were subjected to one or more forms of torture, including electric shock, suffocation with plastic bags, waterboarding, beatings, and sexual violence. Women were dragged by their hair and threatened with rape, the report says. The detentions often had no legal basis, according to reports, which says there is more than 2,000 people were arrested for political reasons in the first five months of the year, and more than 720 were still detained at the end of May. Human rights activists welcomed the spotlight, the report turning into government repression and abuses. The government's reaction shows us it's the right point, said Tamara. And so, yeah, this is already uh, established fact that they operate 
death squads. It was from routers. Venezuela death squads kill young men. Venezuela's army death squads kill thousands from DW.com. Al Jazeera, UN report, Venezuela death squads kill young men. Uh, NPR, UN report, reveals shockingly high number. UN report accuses Venezuela's government of using death squads to commit many extrajudicial killings. BBC.com, Venezuela's rulers accused by UN of death squads. Human Rights Watch, Venezuela extrajudicial killings in poor areas. Venezuelan death squads kill thousands from the independent, etc., etc., etc. So, long story short, I think that basically proves it, that the abilities to send these experienced death squad hardened um, special forces, operators, paramilitary, police, um, you know, intelligence operatives, just like the American CIA, they have their own, they have their own agents, they have agents that are willing to do whatever they need to, to succeed in these long-term clandestine and unorthodox operations to set up cells, set up literal head squads, uh, head squads, assassin uh, groups, and networks of saboteurs that are willing to do things like blow up infrastructure, kill uh, police chiefs, mayors, judges, just like how we did in South and Central America in the 70s and 80s, just like we taught them to do in the School of Americas in Fort Benning's Georgia, just like we taught them to do against their leadership while running guerrilla wars of their own. Now, that's the Nicaraguan side, so now you have the three elements completely uh, manifested. You have Nicaraguans, which are the uh, force majeure. They are the majority of the troops and the nationality of these uh, intelligence operatives, these uh, hitmen, these special police, these secret police, or rather these uh, special action units, special action forces um, that will do the actual dirty work, that will do the actual killing. So we have the Chinese in the place of the Russians who do all the organizations, the planning and the campaigning, the spying, right? The actual intelligence work of this group. Once their agents are in place, once all of the pieces and the intelligence is gathered and they have enough resources to actually undertake this throughout the years of chaos to follow, once they can survive the absolute shitstorm that they will cause, right? Once they survive the, the American civil war that they will cause, they will instigate, they will promote, once they, um, once they are confident enough in the security of this operation, which is fully underway, then I believe it will already be too late to stop it. At least from starting fully. They will they will see the North Koreans, the North Korean Unit 121 and um, the Lazarus Unit. They will strike the American power grid. Now, people think it's going to be across the country at one time, both coasts and ERCOT, Texas, knocked down. But it could just be ERCOT. It could be one grid at a time. It could just be Texas. They start just with Texas. They knock down the power. 
they knock down, or they start with the West Coast, they start with the East Coast. It's really that simple. But if they start in Texas, Red Dawn will be in Texas. The power grid will go down. It could be individual cities. It could be individual neighborhoods within those cities. It could be entire uh, statewide. And they could sabotage it both physically and with the cyber attacks. And if they use cyber attacks, it sometimes it's just as good as being physical because you couldn't really ever reoperate them, especially if they got us by the balls like I think they got us by the balls. They could do things like take our banks offline, take hospitals offline, take prison systems offline, credit systems offline. They could take everything, schools, hijack them. Um, if America's hospitals, if Texas's hospitals were hijacked, think they could hold them for ransom. They could literally hold every hospital for ransom. Um, this is a massive national security. They could easily just, just if, if a city had a hostilely started power outage that it could not reverse in a city the size of Houston or Austin or Dallas, it would be a massive disaster with thousands of people who would be lost uh, due to needing power for their life support or whatever reasons for it, right? And, you know, diabetes machines like the like the people who need dialysis, etc. And then you'd have massive amounts of hunger. Within about one or two weeks, you'd start seeing malnourishment. You'd start seeing fatigue like that. You'd start seeing people dying of, of preventable diseases. You'd start seeing people going and looting, just like in Katrina. But it wouldn't be a storm that caused it. It would be a cyber attack. Now in this hypothetical cyber attack in this Red Dawn situation, let's just say it's Houston, right? Yeah, the other parts of the city of the state try to help out, find themselves also being attacked by cyber, uh, cyberware and uh, stuff like that. Um, cyber attacks by North Korea, entire cities shut down, ERCOTs uh, fried, completely taken offline. Hospitals are being ransomed out, you know, for ransomware, etc., so everyone's got their own problems, but in Houston, they got a lot more because it's a city of almost 8 million people. People are now going hungry. People are looting. Their police have to respond as well. You have Chinese that have already set up espionage units that know who the police, the chiefs, uh, chief of police are, that know federal agents. They know where their address is. They know mayors. They know the mayor's assistants. They know city councilors, city um, city committee leaders, etc. The people who actually call the shots, right? People who are uh, part of the emergency federal government, people are part of the state government, people are part of the uh, first responders, firefighters, police, etc. They know where all these people live. They know where they're going to assemble. They know where they're going to uh, rally to have their little meetings and orientations, etc., to, to develop their plans of continuancy and, and contingency, etc. At that point, the Venezuelan death squads, who number in the thousands, by the way. Remember, there's 500,000, 450,000 of them probably still in Texas, right? There's Venezuelan populations. And if it's, if it's half of that, 200,000 of these Venezuelan death squad trained or affiliated special forces irregular guerrillas, right? They form these death squads that are heavily armed with American-purchased Fully automatic weapons, you know, bulletproof vests, etc. Get into the trucks, which are also American and purchased. Drive down to where these people are going to meet. And because no one suspects people assaulting the mayor with fully automatic weapons, 
especially the mayor of Houston. The symbolic bodyguard and police presence is quickly overwhelmed and outgunned, and you see something that you never see in America ever. That is, the uniformed police killed in the line of duty are retreating, overpowered, and unable to respond appropriately to, re- to stop them because of the communications being knocked out, because of the grids being down, and being the massive chaos that's already going on. You see the executions are maybe the capture of uh, actual elected American leaders in major urban cities. Like I said America's, uh, Houston's the fourth largest city in America. Imagine if American special forces... Our American mercenaries captured the, the mayor or the leader of the fourth largest city in China with a combination of cyber attack and foreign, um, foreign death squad mercenaries and stuff. That's how fucking weird, but at the same time, uh, like likely, like I said, it's not unlikely, it is likely to be a reality given the nature of the ever-chaotic reality of fifth-generation, sixth-generation cyber-age warfare, where it's a combination of extreme decisive action, um, third-world populations and brutalities put into first-world-type situations, and the combination of digital and cyber-slash-high-technology with the absolute... um, uh, daring of piracy in, in the many of the pirate campaigns and stuff like that, attacking enemies that think that are too confident to think that they're going to be attacked, and shit like that. Definitely a situation where you're attacking the Vatican as as a mercenary force. You know, the, the army of the hawk is basically the same thing. Uh, this time, though, I think it has a chance. I don't think Red Dawn is fighting in small towns and the Russians parachuting in with armored convoys. I do think it is Venezuelan death squads organized by Chinese intelligence agents and um, networks of the PRC, the CCP, um, with their supply routes, with their funding, with their with their safe houses, with their weapons, supplies, etc. in the organized crime world, together with North Korean cyber warfare, as it's being perfected, being launched against the U.S. infrastructure as it crumbles, and then the overwhelmingly arrogant and safe and untested um, leadership and elites of America, which rest in the confidence of the uniformed police and civilian authorities, um, who, yes, are heavily armed, yes, they have SWAT teams, yes, that but in a major crisis would find themselves stretched thin and especially if distracted by this crisis be completely underestimated, be um, underprepared if not complete like you said it's it's coming at a left field it's completely unexpected to be attacked in american soil in houston in a in the area that you're rallying to to respond to a a grid down cyber attack by literal Venezuelan death squads that have infiltrated your state's borders 
over the last two years, a few dozen at a time, and have assimilated in the five million immigrants that live in Texas in their numbers, training, um, preparing, uh, planning, and now striking with a lethality of force that only a third world socialist republic can actually produce, that of the state of Venezuela. And only one that is so desperate to engage in, knowing that their their entire civilization, their entire country, is literally targeted by the United States of America itself. And Texas is the most important state in the United States of America. Texas would be the state, if you could only conquer one state in America to prove a point, to destabilize the entire country, to bring it to its fucking knees, all 50 states you could bring to their knees with the destabilization or an attack on the Texas power grid and its leadership and this, the moral the moral victory alone, the 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 fact that that occurred in Texas on USA soil, probably the most USA state of all time, probably the most, uh, you know, right-wing, neocon, uh, heavily fortified, as well as economically successful and power, politically powerful state when it comes to reputation in the entire union. Yes, you could do that to New York City. Yes, you could that could do that to Los Angeles or California, uh, equally so. But Texas would be the only state that really would truly matter, in terms of California is already a shithole. No one fucking respects it, and no one would give a shit if it fell into the fucking ocean. And if China attacked it, you'd be like, yeah, that's what they get. That that makes sense. And if New York City fell, same thing. You'd be like. Who the fuck wants it? It's just, it's filled with rats and piss and trash. And it, everyone's already left. There's no one really of importance there. Culturally, it's dead. So it's like, why would you take over New York City and then for a suicide mission? This is, if in the 80s, yeah, you would want New York City because it's got the Wall Street thing. But like, no, 2023, no, it'd be foolish to attack and conquer New York City as just even a sign of just attacking America. Washington, D.C., we all know that's just all bullshit. Um, so your selection comes, where would you attack? If you had to attack America and, and make one decisive guerrilla strike from the shadows, where would you do this? Texas, specifically, um, the major urban centers of Texas, Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas, Austin, you really wouldn't care because Austin doesn't really do very much in the bigger picture of things. It's more political and it's more symbolic and cultural. San Antonio, huge federal government uh, headquarters. Houston, the same. Uh, plus just the, the large economy and the large amount of people. Um, you know, to turn that into an urban war zone would be absolutely... Um, like I said, it's the fourth largest city in America. you got New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles, and then Houston. So, And Houston's already got a huge uh, amount of immigrants uh, from Latin America and China. 
Huge amount of Chinese. Huge amount of Chinatown, streets and Chinese. Anyone who's been to Houston absolutely knows they got a lot of fucking Chinese people. They got a lot of Asians. They got a lot of a lot of neighborhoods already dedicated to Chinatown, giving it real estate, plus a fuck load of land, private areas, etc., for them to train, uh, build up. You could easily hide a, an army in the general population of Houston, and no one would be the wiser. You could just add 20,000, 30,000 uh, citizens into Houston, slowly assimilate them over the years, and I mean like two or three years, and then train them, and they would just be part of the annual growth of Houston, they would join a, a, a shooting club. We'd, uh, get a, go to a gun store in the back and everything. Buy the gun store and in the back start training out your your hitmen, your assassins, and stuff like that. We'd give them loadouts, buy it legally through the gun store, make a profit on the side, as well as you could be uh, pretending that you're an immigrant real estate agent. Like they have that city, they have a city um, full for immigrants. Let me read this out. Um, Colony Ridge. So this this city in Houston, by the way, Houston area city, Colony Ridge, is a city, a massive residential development project. It's brand new. It's north of Houston, and it's quickly taken center stage in Texas politics. It's a de- sorry a development for a magnet for illegal immigrants. With Governor Greg Shabbat, Greg Abbott, saying serious concerns have been raised. We don't agree. Even if we agree, we still don't agree. We're trying to put together as much information as possible so that I can add a special session, any issue that needs to be enforced in terms of new law in the state of Texas to make sure that we're not going to have colonies like this in our state. Colonies like what? Colonies of illegal immigrants. The precise issues are unclear. Abbott suggested his word Colony Ridge has become a no-go zone for Americans, where the state's ban on sanctuary cities is not being enforced. But local legal experts say there is no law against selling land to people who aren't citizens, and many of their more outlandish claims about the neighborhood have become accompanied with little or no evidence. Abbott has also stated that the State will issue subpoenas to the developers to find out what's going on financially. And he said state environmental regulators are investigating Colony Ridge and will report any issues. The development company Tyrannos Houston says that its Colony Ridge as a haven for people in the country illegally is slanderous and unsubstantiated. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick toured the development by air on Monday and spoke to officials said that it was clear that they did not have enough manpower and the police to patrol the area, which has grown at an unprecedented speed. 
The development, located in rural Liberty County, about 30 miles north of Houston, is compromised of multiple subdivisions. According to a column wrote after his flyover, the developer... Uh, the development covers nearly 33,000 acres and is home to about 10,000 people. Texas GOP is already passing resolutions calling for action against Colony Ridge, including legislations to prevent further settlements of illegal aliens there. Although Allison Terrace, law professor, has stated that it's been long-standing practice to sell property to people regardless of their immigration status or citizenship status, even in the U.S. Of course, the Texas legislature might try to pass a law that would ban sales to those without legal status, but it would be likely declared unconstitutional. Bottom line is the states generally have wide latitude to regulate property laws within the state, but those laws cannot violate the U.S. Constitution, nor can they interfere or conflict with federal immigration law and policy. She said undocumented people don't need a Social Security number to purchase property and can instead get an individual taxpayer identification number, which was created by the Internal Revenue Service in 1996, to allow immigrants who don't qualify for a Social Security number to file their taxes. El Paso immigration lawyer and former president and general counsel of the American Immigration Lawyers Association said there was no state law or federal law prohibiting undocumented immigrants from purchasing homes or land in the USA. She said, in reality, foreign nationals can acquire American property sitting in their living rooms in London or sitting in a kitchen in Shanghai. Immigration status and citizenship status doesn't have a darn thing to do with it. And he goes on to talk about the history of the law. Various states have been trying to fight it. And recently, Texas banned the communist Chinese government from buying land. But not individual citizens. But now we see the stage is set. The stage is set, or I said hypothetically Red Dawn realistically would take place theoretically with a combined arm attack between the communist nations of Venezuela, North Korea, and China. And it would happen logically where the three of these have the greatest chance of both success and in population representation, which is the city of Houston and the state of Texas, which there is ample evidence, including the immigration figures across the Texas border, the geopolitical climate of each nation over the last 10 years in regards to hostility, and the ability to establish and set up a campaign 
of a long-term, long reconnaissance, um, covert infiltration, spying, and sabotage efforts, as well as the creation, training of death squads, and counterattack, counterinvasion into the U.S. using the political situation as a perfect cover and America's own porphyrous internal laws regarding land acquisition by non-U.S. citizens, as well as their changing attitudes, their divided attitudes regarding refugees and mass migrations, specifically across Texas, whereas Texas may resist such efforts, but is almost powerless to stop them, and already has a population that's almost 20% of the state with immigrant status, meaning assimilation is easiest, as well as most socially accepted, in a state that is controlled by the most hostile to foreigners meaning it has the most to lose in one's attack. And is he really the only enemy worth attacking in this very deadly way? But absolutely, is it possible? With the cyber warfare specialists of North Korea, with the death squad special action forces, of Venezuela and with the spy networks and saboteurs of communist China we could in Texas see a very red dawn That's right. We could see a very red dawn tomorrow. Thank you all very much for tuning into another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I have the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of the coast, the coast, coast of Texas. Namaste. Assalamu alaikum. Iron sharp as iron, a friend sharp as a friend. Thank you all for those who have supported by following me on Twitter or social media. Follow through, you know, all the links and all that stuff like that. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Podpage.com slash Beyond Top Secret Texan for the website. Uh, check me out through Spotify, iHeartRadio, Overcast, um, Podbay, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, all that good shit. Thank you all very much. Um, support me through Cash App if you can. Dollar goes a long way. Five dollars goes even further. Ten dollars even further than that. Buy me a pizza. Buy me a movie ticket. Consider it something like that. You know, nice of you. Buy me a beer. Um, just you know, however you can support me freely. Listen to the old episodes. Go through the archives. Listen to the episodes uh, posted on Spotify. Especially helps me out with sponsorship. Helps me out with ad revenue. So thank you all. However you can, liking, subscribing, and definitely sharing. Sharing this content through your social media. I'm banned on a lot of platforms like TikTok or Facebook, so if you post it on there, thank you all very much. You know, it helps me immensely. I can't even reach those uh, channels, those numbers of audiences, those those groups of people. Post me in groups, post me in your different media groups, post these episodes. You know, I know people would love to hear them. 
Um, I guess peace out. God bless you and your families. to collapse, you're primed to look for certain signs as indicative of a collapse, even though they're not close to how things tend to unfold. Partly this is due to media Hollywood blockbusters, partly it's probably intentionally, because it makes the real collapse less directly apparent to you. You'll find yourself rapidly adapting to a new normal. The fact that you have less than you used to have is also something you quietly sweep under the rug. Something that economic conditions force upon us, we reinterpret as our own decision. Something that we can't spin is something we decide not to publicly acknowledge. We don't recognize collapse because we reinterpret it as a voluntary return to simpler conditions. Hence, the hipster phenomena. Some examples. Economic depression. What you expect. Unemployment lines. Shrinking GDP figures. Bank robberies. Civil insurrection government bankruptcies, failing companies, bankers and yuppies jumping from rooftops. What happens? The young all decide to go to college. They don't want a job. They'd rather spend until the heat death of the universe developing themselves. Then after graduating, they decide to go abroad for a year, typically working in a foreign country and farm labor. Back home, the government decides it can no longer support every individual, and the most unfortunate quietly decide to kill themselves as a result. They're bullied out of their benefits, in the same way that many employers won't admit that they can't afford keeping you hired, but instead blame you. GDP keeps growing because a tiny group of people can inflate their wealth on paper to ridiculous levels. Peak oil. What you expect. Skyrocketing oil prices. Big lines at the gas station. Rationing of gasoline and sudden shortages. What really happens. Oil-producing nations are destabilized as lingering tensions erupt in ethnic conflicts, while oil production rapidly drops in the process. Global prices oscillate, oil is renamed liquids, and definitions are stretched. Young people stop buying cars, hip new companies come with edgy innovative solutions, like putting a sail on a boat. We'll never refer to it as taking a step back, returning to an older technology will present it as something new, something more efficient. The energy crisis. What you expect, grid failure. You wake up one day and the electricity doesn't work and the whole nation is without as people start plundering. What actually happens? Some people have their electricity shut off, but it's because they are irresponsible and they don't pay their bills. In winter, some people receive letters in the mailbox that during certain periods they may have to be rationed. The government decides to cut down on lighting public roads. Some companies agree to pause their activities during peak demand hours so that consumers can cook food and watch TV without trouble. Eventually, you'll get used to occasional blackouts, and eventually you'll get used to the fact that they tend to occur during certain periods. Later on, you don't even expect to get electricity during certain periods of the day or year any longer. Food shortages. What you expect. Supermarkets have empty shelves. People plunder. Other people collapse in the street. Images on TV of people in your neighborhood with strong accents complaining that their child is hungry and begging for help. What actually happens? Prices for certain items surge, and you decide to stop buying them. People at the bottom of the pyramid no longer can buy food in the supermarket. They're given the leftovers in food banks. People feel ashamed and they don't talk about it. And some schools quietly decide to stop having gym classes. Adaptation. What you expect. Most people in the city start to die. 
the rich flee to the wilderness retreats. Other people build their own communities where they grow their own food and they get their own electricity. What actually happens? Wearing secondhand clothing becomes trendy among the young, as do bicycles. Supermarkets stop throwing away food. People have fewer children. Paid jobs are replaced by volunteer jobs. People are asked to patrol their own neighborhoods. The unemployed are asked to take grandma for a walk. Euthanasia becomes accepted. Doctors stop trying to treat every health condition. Foreign conquest. What you expect. They come in carrying black banners. They're well organized and manage to stage a coup, implementing Sharia law and beheading your prime minister. What actually happens? You decide to stop saying things. It's not worth risking, and why would you incite violence by drawing cartoons? People arrive in large groups, and we can't blame them as they fled a war. So we'll temporarily resettle them in a hastily assembled communities. Temporary eventually becomes permanent. Police find it difficult to maintain order there, and try to delegate this task to the local imam or certain elderly people, who look the other way as certain people try to impose their own laws on these communities. Every time the community riots, some concessions are done by the government in the form of a new youth center, seating a squatted building, anti-discrimination legislation, affirmative action, and job opportunities. Appeasement is nothing new. It's what the French did with the Normans, who landed over a thousand years ago, giving up land in exchange for not being raided. Climate change. What you expect. Some sort of day after tomorrow scenario. What happens? People start to die in third world countries. But we don't blame climate change. We blame a civil war, which we blame on ethnic tensions. Millions of people migrate to the north, but we don't blame climate change. We blame civil wars. Nation states permanently devolve into a state of tribal anarchy akin to Somalia, which we don't blame on climate change. Point being, it's there, but you have to look carefully for it. Nobody wants to admit collapse, but the signs are visible to all. It's sugar-coated. It's rationalized, it's reinterpreted, it's rebranded, but it's there. We give undue importance to new small gadgets. We give new names to old concepts. We redefine growth. We present involuntary decisions as voluntary, and it's easy to fool each other as we do so. I figured it out. All of it. Look, we were peacefully shitposting and laughing at Tumblr otherkins. But when we were shocked to discover those tumblerinas exist in real life, and they're HRs and journalists, and they're spreading their ideology in the real world and people buy it, and from there it all went to shit, right? Well, no. My theory is that the SJW and the Poltards are just symptoms of something much deeper. How did the U.S. come to be? It was Columbus who sailed into the unknown, risking his own life. It was Puritans working 16 hours a day because idle hands are a devil's plaything and who didn't waste time on distractions because that would have been a sin. It was Washington who, according to the legend, never told a lie. It was Edison, Henry Ford, the Wright brothers, and so on. That is to say, the U.S. came to be because of courageous, resourceful, disciplined, honest, and smart men. In other words, virtuous men. Even if we accept the narrative that Westerners lived in dirt, created nothing, and acquired riches through exploiting minorities, that still requires courage, fighting spirit, exploration, and military skill, which are virtues. Virtues create civilizations and vices destroy them. Roman philosophers were decrying the loss of Roman virtues at least one century before the Republic fell. This explains the hard times create strong men meme. Hard times are an environment selecting for virtue. If you're a coward, stupid, or disloyal, you'll either die or be enslaved. 
If you're courageous, smart, and an undertaker, you shall conquer. In opposition during good times, you don't need to develop as an individual. Merely being born is sufficient to survive and reproduce. The Darwinian ratchet is no more, leading to degradation of virtue and spreading of vice, both mimetically and genetically. Of course, someone is going to post, What's a virtue? What's a vice? Everything is relative. So roughly, I'll define virtue as sacrificing temporary pleasures in the present for benefit in the future, and accordingly, vice is sacrificing future for temporary benefit in the present. Female virginity is a virtue because by passing the, by the cock carousel, she raises her chance of finding a better spouse in the future. Courage is a virtue because you risk your well-being in the present in order to gain something for the future. Discipline is a virtue because instead of wasting your time on trivial pleasures, you invest it in your physique or a skill that will benefit you in the future. Of course, I don't deny the existence of people who remain virgins through their stupidity or invest their time in stupid things. Cowardice is a vice because you save your skin in the present at the price of your future. Sloth is a vice because you avoid work in the present, but you'll pay for your laziness in the future. Of course, I don't deny cases when retreat and accepting defeat are the right things to do. Let's look at the West now, a crowd of fat, lazy, stupid cowards with low self-control. Low self-control because they go in debt for shit they don't need because they don't save. Fat because it's more convenient to eat some cheap, fast food instead of learning how to cook healthy food, because that would require time and dedication. Cowards because half of the U.S., the same half that was now boasting on the internet about wanting to fight in a race war, is doing nothing while their country is being lit aflame, their monuments destroyed, and their ancestors insulted. Cowards because they're afraid of even stating that they voted for Trump, or that they're not okay with the status quo. Stupid, because the other half of the U.S. is okay with their country being destroyed because they get their entire worldview from MSM and social media and never bother to analyze the narrative critically or do some research. And don't get me started on American education. This is why the 2000 bailout happened. This is why Ford and Boeing are zombies maintained alive artificially because in the short term, it's easier than admitting there's a problem in facing the unemployment and recession that would ensue should those entities go bankrupt. This is why they move their industry to China, because it's easier to pay a foreigner a cup of rice a day instead of innovating and automating the production on your soil. This is why the West is now in a technological regress. The U.S. railways are, if not Moldova tier, they certainly are Ukraine tier. The planes are now slower than in 2003, when the last Concords were discontinued. It was discontinued because it was too pricey, the jet fuel was too expensive. Why are we still powering the entire industry with oil? Where are the cars with cold fusion reactors that people dreamed about in the 1950s? It's easier to just do more in the same instead of innovating. The West chose the easy road again and again, and the West failed the marshmallow test as a civilization. The only industry that not only didn't degrade but advanced tremendously is the IT industry, Computers, phones, game consoles, CGI, Vidya, Netflix, and so on. What's a computer if not a time-wasting box? Only a fraction of PC users use the internet to do rocket science, and they could do it without PCs like they did before. Pens, papers, libraries, and scientific conventions are a thing. The vast majority of people use the PC for dopamine microdosing, for upcomings on social media, stupid memes, or Wikipedia articles which make you feel smart even though you aren't. 
And what's a phone if not a portable time-wasting box that you can carry around? The degradation of values and the replacement of virtues with vices, better known as degeneracy, is a self-reinforcing process. The boomers didn't want to do that hard parenting stuff, so Gen X were brought up by the TV. The Gen Xers were not even ashamed and declared publicly that they don't want to study or work. And they didn't want to raise children properly too. So millennials grew up on the internet and on Vidya. Anyone who's seen a toddler realizes that they are, in essence, wild animals who must be educated and disciplined in order to become humans. Leaving them to grow by themselves or putting them in front of a box they don't annoy you is irresponsible. Yet this is what modern parenting memes are all about. Don't force anything on your children, not even their gender. Let them grow up on themselves. This is why third generation Muslims become fundamentalists. Islam offers at least some values, at least some goals, at least some sort of map to navigate the world. This is why Western edgy kids become tradcats and varg larpers. They also need a structure, a definition of good and evil, an ideal, and so on. This is why all the degenerates were so triggered by Jordan Peterson, who, in essence, didn't say anything as outrageous as the reaction to him would imply. But he was the adult in the room, who brought to everyone's attention that they're spoiled children with no impulse control, avoiding responsibility. And on some level, they knew he was right, but acknowledging that would mean realizing you've pissed away your life. If we suppose Dawkins' meme theory is true for a moment, and cultures are made out of memes which are analogous with genes, then it's plausible there also exist bad memes, analogous with viruses, who reproduce in humans but kill the host in the process. These were the memes that those generations brought up by TV and internet absorbed. Take, for example, a classic story. The hero manifests virtues, courage, intelligence, perseverance, by which he defeats his enemies and gets the girl. The prince rides three days and three nights to kill the dragon and gets the princess. Now take a typical western movie. There was once a loser whose fate was suddenly changed when a radioactive spider bit him, or he took a magic pill, he met an alien, or a porn star who wants to have sex with him, moved next door, and he's just special in some way, by no effort of his own, just by luck. Like Harry Potter. He didn't conquer anything, he didn't invent anything, he didn't put in any effort to get to the Hogwarts letter. He just happens to be special, and by sheer chance, he's transported into a world where everything is solved by magic, lucky coincidences. It's no wonder degenerates cite Harry Potter in political discussions. Because this is the world they want to live in, where they are special and every problem has an easy, magical solution. Other kins who want to be cats, and the incels who want a state-mandated GF, and the tankies dreaming about fully automated luxury gay space communism are all facets of the same thing. Children infected by killer memes who now wait for the Hogwarts letter and a magical solution to all their problems. This is why dissidents exist on image boards. We were somewhat isolated from the mainstream and thus didn't absorb all the destructive memes. But don't rejoice too soon, we're still degenerates. If the rest of the world is level 2020 degenerates, we're level 2010 degenerates, or even 2000 level, but not nearly level zero. We've been absorbing virus memes from some source or another without noticing. Yes, you think men cutting their dicks is too much, but homosex is okay, premarital sex is okay, masturbation, lollicon, hentai, and soft drugs are okay. I'm not saying these things are the source of all evil, I'm just saying they are cheap sources of dopamine that undermine your future, i.e. vices. This is why trad cats and other LARPers still jerk off to cat boys or some other thing like that. Being a contrarian in this time is like being a fish swimming against the flow. 
while a big part of you wants to go with the flow anyways. The same way you're okay with gays, the same way the next generation will be okay with troons, but of course they will say that pedophilia is too much, and the generation after them will be okay with pedophilia, but zoophilia too much, come on. This degeneration process is unstoppable, as I've said before. It's a self-reinforcing process, and this is why it'll continue way further. Thulu's always swim left, so Moldbug is a way was calling the W force entropy. If by entropy we mean the decline of virtue and the spread of vice, I think the future will be even worse. We haven't even seen Caligula and Nero as U.S. presidents. We haven't even seen Anasius as a senator. We might see the legalization of hard dr drugs, because why not? We all agree they're hedonistic nihilists. Heroin is pleasure. Why would you deny pleasure? Hell, maybe even state-funded heroin, because what? Are only the rich entitled to pleasure? Do you think the West will get so degenerate as to collapse? Maybe. Or maybe, after its economy falls behind, it will use its most powerful military to extract protection money from the West of the world. I wonder if we'll see tribute being imposed on a country, or demanding tribute from a country on the threat of nuking them. Tribute that will then be used for government heroin distribution programs, of course. This is why the USSR is, in a way, comfy. The Soviet movies, the Soviet literature, the Soviet posters have soul. Even though they were communists, they were virtuous men. They went through shit. They overcame it. They were trying to build a better future for their children. Maybe it was the faith in communism that gave them virtue, or maybe it was inertia from the Russian Empire's nobility. What's certain is that the Soviet equivalent of Gen X is lost. No one believes in communism, and no one believes in anything. The nomenclature wanted to own Bias and publicly ride in expensive foreign cars, and the proles wanted Pepsi and blue jeans. So the whole system just dissolved, and the apogenies let all their ancestors built go to rust. This is why women go after Muslims. They might be stupid, but at least they have some virtues. At least they're courageous, militant, and at least they don't jerk off to anime and sit inside all day going nowhere in life. I think that's all, so let me address some in-befores. Duh, it's because we've forsaken our traditional Christian pagan values. There were civilizations of various religions who still displayed virtue. Religion ideology can be an inspiration or a rationalization of virtuous behavior, or it can be not. Just like how churches are dysfunctional, too, and the believers are as virtuous and viceful as the rest of the population. There is only the appearance of religion, just like trad cats secretly jerking off to kitty porn. Trad cats can't live a truly religious life because they never lived in a truly religious society. Neither were they raised by truly religious parents. They try to live as they imagine a Christian would live. In other words, they LARP. Duh, it's just the postmodern Marxists doing the long march through the institutions. Honestly, this is what I thought before I had the revelation written in this post. But Moldbug, Jordan Peterson, et al., when they claim, in my opinion rightfully, that McCarthy did nothing wrong, as shown by the Venona papers, they also found an autobiography of an American Communist Party, and so on. They always are naming literally who's. I mean, yeah, I buy that there were some unironical card-carrying communists in the U.S. since forever. I buy some of them held public posts, but this was the case everywhere. And they were all no names with zero influence. Now, if Moldbug would find proofs that a U.S. president was a card-carrying communist, that would be another talk. As for Bezmanov, I think he was just taking credit for the sunset, blaming the usual boogeyman in order to sell some books. I've never heard some other KGBist, at least partially, confirm Bezmanov's claims. We are in the darkest days of humanity. It sure feels like it. 
What a nightmare this is. If you traveled back in time, just even 20 years, and you went into a Hollywood studio and said, I have a fucking perfect pitch for a dystopian sci-fi future where people work in Amazon cages, live in concrete pods, have robotic fluorosine pills embedded in their stomach, and shit on sloped toilets installed by their employers for fear of employees slacking off at work, and the lower caste of workers eating bugs, they would have thrown you out of the office because they would have said, Hey, even though this is sci-fi, this is far too unrealistic for us to accept. But that's where we are circa 2019. It just adds on top of each other. It's like a layered cake of shit at the world's worst birthday party. Nobody wants to blow out the candles because it smells like poop. But they just keep layering it on top, one after the other, saying, How can we make it worse? What can we make you do to hate your fucking life even more? Can we get a break? Is there a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel? Is there a little bit of hope out there? Can God just part the clouds and give us a sign that it won't be the darkest days of humanity that we're walking into? Because it sure feels like it. It feels like we've been set up. We've been bamboozled. Everything's gone insane. Reports coming out that plastic bottles and plastic products contain 44 times the level that were deemed safe by the FDA of gender-bending fucking chemicals and cancer-causing ages. Meaning that if you've been drinking Coke or Pepsi or water or anything really from a plastic bottle since childhood, there's a chance you're going to be wearing a dress once you're a grown man, or you're going to go batshit insane. Now don't think the ladies are safe either. While all the boys are being made into girls, the ladies with their birth control are going to shrink the hypothalamus by 6%. Parts of the brain that are really dedicated to pair bonding and family building and a sense of love and commitment. They're fucking frying our brains and breaking our wills, and sending us into this nightmare hellscape, and I don't even know why. I'm not even sure the end game is here. Maybe it's George Soros or somebody like him is really just a misanthrope. Maybe it's that they want to make take the world over. Maybe they just fucking hate people. Maybe they're the edgiest emo fucker that ever existed and they just don't fucking realize it. And their whole goal, their joke, their troll is to drive the world into collective state suicide because it feels like that's what we're being set up to at the moment. Everybody's become a lunatic. I mean, it's brilliant, really, when you pick it apart. When you look at the details and the effort that got into it, Introducing chemicals that fuck with people's heads, but not telling them how it fucks with them until it's far too late. Raising generations on the idea that they should be egocentric and narcissistic. Creating technology that feeds into that, and giving them social media and making them addicted to it. Taking away their ability to earn prosperity through work, to afford a house, and to make it in the world. Telling them ridiculous shit that they need to eat bugs and take their pills and live in their pods and sit on a potty that makes them slide off it like a fucking slip and slide. It's all layered on top of each other, all waiting to drive you mentally crazy. How's that for a black pill? How do you like that? How do you escape from that? I'm not even so much mad that it's happening. I just want to know who. I know everybody has their pet conspiracy theory, but who would be behind something so evil? And I just want to meet the man, the singular entity out there, the shot caller, the big guy. I want to meet him and just ask why. I won't even stop you. I couldn't if I wanted to, but could you just tell me why? What is your grand Machiavellian plan? You're driving the world literally insane, and there has to be a purpose behind it. There must be a master stroke of genius behind it. Just a little clarification as I sit here looking deeply in the abyss that is my future, our collective future. I don't know where things are going, but it's a dark, dark fucking abyss.